0: Verses of chapter 7, of Psalms, David is appealing to the Lord. And then uh, in in verses 3 through 5, then David makes his statement of innocence. um, Because David just did not believe that he was guilty uh, of what he was being accused of. And now, when we begin in verse number six and go down through verse number uh, number thirteen, then David begins to talk to God about His righteous judgment, and and he begins to appeal and and uh, and he has uh, in verse number six he has three he uses three. Uh, imperatives in verse number six alone, and that is arise. That's lift up, and that is awake. He, and now he's doing this for a reason, and we'll we'll talk about this, you know, here. But but when David begins to appeal to God uh, concerning his righteous judgment in this context. It, it, is, it is partly this context that, um, that Paul uses. You know, in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 17, Paul talks about the righteousness of God. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the to the Gentile. He said, For herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by by his faith. Now there he quotes Habakkuk chapter two and verse number four. But when David talks of the righteousness of God, he he reaches back, and and he brings forward Old Testament vernacular, and and he begins to talk about that. But uh, and he uses the phrase "the righteousness of God," but then for a period of time, he just kind of leaves it alone. He, he just kind of hangs it out there and and lets you wonder you know what is the righteousness of god what what is david talking about and 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 one day maybe we'll do a study on the righteousness of god because it 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 does incorporate more than uh than than just the righteousness of god because when we talk about the righteousness uh, uh of christ uh or or of god then automatically you know we think well it it is the righteousness of god it is god's righteousness and that is partly correct but but it go the righteousness of god goes way beyond just being righteousness that is god's righteousness uh be, because it it has to do Uh, also with the, the, the ability of God to impute righteousness unto believers. But that righteousness also incorporates God's protection of His people. And it also incorporates the righteous judgment of God. All of that is encapsulated in what Paul calls the righteousness of God in verse number 17 of Romans 1. And so here we we see some of this in Psalm chapter 7 because David begins to appeal to the righteous judgment of God. Now, that judgment uh, is one of the aspects of God that uh, that we don't like to uh, like to talk about. We we don't like to think about, you know, God judging, you know, people, and um, you know, will we'll judgment is for this time in the future, and we we don't know when that time is, and this is our this tends to be the thinking of humanity. The judgment of God is something that's in in the future, but what we fail to understand is that God executes righteous judgment every day. Amen. So when we talk about the judgment of God, you know, we can't afford, you know, to take the approach that says, well, the judgment of God is some point in time in the future, so. You know, I you know I've got time to live my life, and I've got time to do some things, and you know that that I would like to do, and you know when I get all of that accomplished, then you know then I, I can turn my life over to the Lord. I, I can begin to serve Him. You know, change my life at at that point in time. the The problem with thinking that way is. We we don't know whether it will be today that God chooses to judge one of us. Amen. See, those are unknowables. The, those are things you know that about God we, we don't we don't know. He he doesn't give us insight uh, into to those types of things. We we just have to understand. That God executes righteous judgment on a daily basis. Somebody's being judged by God every day, every day. And uh, I, I was talking to a pastor today, and he was telling me of you know certain situation involving you know certain people and and uh, you know things that are happening you know, in their life, and there's a reason that certain things, you know, are happening. And I said, you know, here's, here's what we have to understand. There's a law. It's a biblical law. And it never goes away. It's called the law of, of sowing and reaping. Here's the thing. You can sow good seed... And you reap good crops. You can sow bad seed. And guess what's going to happen? You're going, you're going to reap bad crops. That law never, never goes out of effect. Even when when people are living for God. If you sow bad things, you, you're going to reap a bad crop. And it, that's just the way that God has established it and that law will never be out of effect it'll never be nullified until the end when the the summation of all things you know comes and and we need to understand that that that's the reason that we need to know what's in the, the word of the lord that's why we need to be praying people you know and and uh and I, I told somebody today, I said, you, you know, almost every time that I pray, I ask God, don't let me be deceived. Don't allow me to get to the place, whatever that place is, don't allow me to get to the place that I can be deceived. But let me always have a pure mind, as God told Timothy. And we we studied you know, several years ago in Timothy. And we studied about that pure mind. And it, 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 it means an uncontaminated mind. Uncontaminated by false doctrine. Let me have a pure mind. Because if, if my mind remains pure, then the chances of me being deceived by that which is not true... Go down dramatically. And we need to pray for that. God let me have a have an uncontaminated mind so that so that I am not deceived. So in these verses, now I've just kind of laid a little groundwork about what David is is uh, appealing to the Lord to do here. Uh, And and so, he's appealing to the righteous judgment of God. And, and, And again, his appeal is out of the turmoil of his heart and the conviction of his innocence. See, he is thoroughly convinced that he is innocent of all of the accusations. That have been leveled against him. And he calls on God to act now. In judgment. And in wrath. So notice what David is asking of God. Number one. He says arise O Lord. In thine anger. That word arise is simply get up, stand up, arise, O oh Lord. I, I need you to get up or stand up and do something on my behalf. And what he's asking God to do is execute judgment Against those who stand in rebellion against Him. Now, this kind of praying is, is foreign. This, this, this language of prayer is foreign to us. Especially in our culture. Now, when, when, you, when you begin to read and, and try to properly interpret Scripture... You have to understand that there is a great divide between who Scripture was originally intended for and us today. And there's barriers to our understanding. There is the barrier of time. There is the barrier of culture that comes into play. And there is the barrier... Of the difference in language that comes into play. And if you know anything about languages. Some languages just don't translate very well. In, into, uh, or An original language doesn't always translate easily into what is called a receptor language. And so when we look at the, the words that David is saying. He's saying, Arise, or stand up, or get up, and and get up in your anger. And again, this is, this is foreign prayer language to us, because in our Western culture, and especially in the time of the dispensation of grace. See, we focus on the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the love of God and and we don't consider the fact that there are times that God does get angry. But listen, to pray, to pray that God would get up in His anger is a prayer that's foreign to us. We don't understand that kind of praying. Because David is saying, God, I I, I want you to get up. I want you to stand up. Now listen, it's not that God was reclining or or that God was asleep because He says, lift up yourself. And then He says, awake. It's, It's not that God was asleep. It's not that God was reclining. But but in David's attitude in this particular occasion, it is like this: if God is not actively working on my behalf right now, currently, then He's absent. Now, in that respect, David's attitude is kind of like ours. Well, see, if God ain't healing me right now, then He's inactive. Or or if God's not touching me right now, He's inactive. If He's not dealing with this pain right now, then He's inactive in my circumstances. And nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes there, there are times in your life and in mine... That God will just let things play out, so to speak. And there's reasons for that. Of which we don't have the time to to get into. But but David's mindset is if, if God is not up, if He's not angry, if He hasn't lifted Himself up because of the rage of my enemies, If He hasn't awakened for me to the judgment that He has commanded, then He's inactive right now. He's not doing anything. He's not dealing with Shimei. He's not dealing with Sheba. He's not dealing with Absalom. So God, I need you to get up. And when you do get up, I need you to get up in your anger imagine asking God to be angry with people but see this this word anger we've dealt with this in the past in the context of this rebellion we've dealt with this word anger in the past because uh, because it it is it is talking uh, about that word anger has to do. With the expansion and the contraction of the nostrils. That's what the word anger in Hebrew has to do with. And it's like, you know, I I asked the question then when we dealt with it earlier. Have you ever seen somebody who was so mad that they stood there and they were breathing real deeply? And their nostrils would contract and expand. You ever seen anybody that mad? Well, I have on more than one occasion. And that's what David is asking God to do. Lord, look at these people that are in rebellion. And and it's as if David fully expected God to be angry with those who were in rebellion. Now God, I've declared my innocence to you in this, but I, I want you to look at all of these people who were not innocent in, in this affair. And they are guilty of rebellion. Now we do know that the Lord hates rebellion. Because 1 Samuel 15 and 23 tells us that for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And and He's asking God when you get up. "I, I need you Lord to be angry when you start doing something on my behalf. So I need you to stand up. I need you to get up. I need you to arise. And when you get up and start working on my behalf, I need a a little bit of anger going on here. And so he says, Lift up thyself because of the rage of my enemies. That lift up is just another way of David imploring God to, to be moved to action on his behalf. So this language, and even including the word awake, this language is asking God to, to act in the most urgent tones. And so it's, it's, it's like David is getting serious with God now and and, and he's using in certain tones and he's, he's trying to influence God. It, it, it's not that God was asleep and needed to, to awake or was actually sitting and needed to arise. But as long as the accusations remained unanswered, it would appear that God was inactive and David's enemies were rampant. And so we ask him to awake. Again, this is just another way of David imploring God to action. Awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. And so now, when he's talking about that, the, the righteous judgment of God, now he starts using language that would be uh, that that would be uh, reminiscent of uh, of a court proceeding, because he talks about the congregation of people surrounding, as it were, a judge. And so he says in verse number. Number seven, so shall the congregation of the people come past you about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. When David uses this language and he's imploring God to return thou on high, what he's asking God is to take your seat of judgment. He's not saying God needs to ascend back into the heavens or whatever. When he says you need to return, I'm asking you the congregation of the people is going to compass about you. And when and when and when everybody stands before you. Now when David talks about the congregation of the people compassing God about. He's talking about everybody, including those who were guilty of rebellion against Him. So when they they compass you, and, and David is saying in so many words, there's coming a time. There's coming a time that all of these people are going to stand before God. And God, when they compass you about, you need to return thou on high you need to get to your place of judgment and you need to judge these people amen I I know this is foreign to us because in verse number 8 he says the Lord shall judge the people when, when he returns thou on high the Lord shall judge the people And then David says, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Again, David is appealing to the Lord in the conviction of his innocence. He says again, The Lord shall judge the people. It's coming a time they're going to compass him about. He's going to ascend on high to his place of judgment and the Lord shall judge the people. And then David says, Judge me, O Lord, according to your righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. What David is telling God is is this. In all of this rebellion from Absalom, in all of the fussing and cussing of Shimei, and in all of the accusations of Sheba, David is telling God in all of this, I have maintained my integrity. I haven't done anything to, to incur this, uh, this incitement of rebellion against me. I've not done anything to, to incur the wrath of Shimei. When he came out cussing me and throwing rocks and, and, and kicking up dust and, 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 and I maintained my integrity. When Sheba began to make accusations against us, God judged me in your righteous judgment. And according to my integrity that is in me. Let me ask you a question. How many times can you pray that prayer to the Lord? God, judge me in your righteous judgment according to my integrity that, that is in me. You ever, you ever able to pray that prayer? God, it, it, I know that all of this is happening, is coming about, but but God, I've maintained my integrity now. I've not done anything you know for this to be leveled against me i have maintained my my integrity and so so then he says in verse number 9 oh let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end and and what he's saying is all of this wickedness of the rebellion god let let it come to an end let let it be done with now there we can we, we can relate to that part of the prayer. See, we, we can have things come against us and we can be in trying times and, and, and it, it's easy for us to pray, God, let this be done with. Amen? Let this be over. Let it be over. I, I'm ready to move on now. Let, let it be over. So, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tries the hearts and the reins. Here he is talking about the righteousness of God again. The righteous God tries the hearts and the reins. What's David saying there? He's saying God tests the motives of people, the heart has to do with the mind. He he tries. God tries the mind and the motives. Of see, it, it's not. It's not only the action that God looks at. He looks at the motive behind the action. And He always considers the motive. See, it is, it's not again, it's not just the, the action. It's not just the sin that God is looking at. He looks at the motive. It's not just the word spoken. He looks at the motive behind the word spoken. It, it's not just the thinking. He, he looks at the motive behind the thinking. And see, we, we have a tendency to think that all of this is hidden from God. But none of this is hidden from God. He tries, or or, or look at it this way. That word try means to test. He tests the motive. And I'm sure that, you know, you've had people to act in a certain way or, or perform some kind of deed and, and, and you ask them, why did you do that? I'm not really, not really looking for a reason. I'm looking for a motive. Well, what was your motive for doing that? What was your motive for, for saying that? You know, and if we think, you know, this is foreign, you know, and, and, and this, you know, God maybe shouldn't look at the motive behind actions and, and thoughts, our civil our judicial courts of this land looks at motive you hear about some kind of crime you know somebody you know somebody gets murdered or something and and then you see the uh, you see the public announcement you know by the by the law enforcement officials you know and if they're not asked the question sometimes they'll volunteer you know, information say, well, you know, we're we're investigating this crime. You know, this man, you know, call his name. You know, was I was found murdered, and uh, at this point, you know, we don't have any suspects, and we have not been able to determine a what motive. We have no suspects. And we've not been able to determine a motive. Why is motive important to them? The reason, why they did. reason why they did it can sometimes lead them to the perpetrator. That's why they look for motive. Why did they do this? What did they, gain? What did they have to gain? For what purpose was this? What was the reason behind this this senseless murder, and and if they can determine the motive, sometimes in many cases that leads them to various suspects, and then they can they can tell you the motive. Well, we've determined that the motive is is this. It it was not robbery, uh, you know, and and we know it wasn't the motive wasn't robbery for these reasons. But because of the violence of the crime. We're looking for somebody that knew them. Because the motive of this kind of violence is not just robbery. It's not killing just to be killing. And so if they can find the motive, many times that leads them. And that's what David is saying here when he lets us know... That it is God that tries the hearts and the reins. He's saying God tries the motive of people. Listen, in in the context of Psalm chapter 3 through 9, the the motive that, that David is focusing on right now is the rebellion of Absalom. There's a reason. There's a reason Absalom rebelled. There's a reason that Absalom tried to usurp the authority of the king that was not rightfully his. And while David in so many ways may be saying, I don't know the reason, I don't know the motive, but it is God that tries the motives. It's God that tries the hearts and the reins. And so, and so when God arises, when God lifts himself up, When God awakes to this righteous judgment that I'm talking to Him about. Then God is going to know the motive behind it all. I I don't know it. But God is going to know it. So let me me take just a moment to rush through these, these next few scriptures in this context. David says, my defense is of God. Again, he's speaking on judicial terms here. The righteous judgment of God. He's speaking on judicial terms. My defense is of God. God's going to defend me. God's going to protect me. He said, my defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. And he says, God judgeth the righteous. And God is wicked, or or angry. God ain't wicked. God is angry with the wicked. God judges the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. See, again, these are terms that is unfamiliar to us. Because we're, we, we have a tendency to say, well, God understands the sinner. He hates the sin, but He loves the sinner. And while that is true, we need to understand according to the Word of the Lord that God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. Again, He's talking about righteous judgment. Now look at verse number 12. If he turned not. If who turned not? If who turns not? If who does not turn? He said if he turned not. not. So who's he talking about? Who's he talking about not turning? Not. No. The wicked. the wicked. If he turned not. He will wet his sword. Now the he here, the second pronoun he is talking about God. If the wicked does not turn, God's going to wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and he's made it ready. So what David is saying here as far as the righteous judgment of God is that God, God is ready to execute judgment. If the wicked does not turn, He's already whetted his sword. What does that mean? He's sharpened. He's sharpened. You know, I, I grew up calling a, you know, a, a rock that you sharpen your knives with, a whet rock. It's not a whet rock. My grandpa, when he started to get ready to sharpen his pocket knife. He'd say, i got to go get my wet rock. And I said, you mean your wet rock? No. My wet rock. It's a wet rock. And so David says, if the wicked does not turn, then, then God will wet his sword. He's sharpening. He's getting it ready. And when he wets his sword... David said he has bent his bow and he's made it ready. That means he's got an arrow notched and and he's he's ready to shoot the arrow. Verse number 13. He says, He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against his persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with, with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. Now that's not part of David's, David's talking to the Lord. and he's talking about somebody else there. And I to want to stop there because verse number 13 concludes David talking to God about his righteous judgment. And again, when we read stuff like this, it's so far into our concept, you know. Why? Why does David say what he's saying? Why is he asking God to get up? And when he gets up, he needs to get up angry with with people. He talks about destroying his enemies. And again, we look at this, and 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 sometimes we can miss some things because of cultural differences. Now. In the eyes of God every life is precious. But not so in the eyes of man. See, we were we were horrified. Back some years ago, when when we first went to places like Iraq, we first invaded Iraq. We we were horrified. Anybody remember the journalist Daniel Pearl? Anybody? I know. I know. I forgot what he did. The journalist Daniel Pearl was captured by the Iraqis and he was beheaded in public. That's right. And and we look at that and think, oh my God, that is atrocious. And you you could see videos of it. That, was a, that is atrocious. See, what we don't understand because of because of cultural barriers, cultural differences. Life, human life, to those people mean virtually nothing. And see, when we when we read these kinds of things in especially in the Old Testament, where David is, is saying, God, God is going to wet his sword. He's bent his bow. He's ready. He has prepared for him instruments of death. See, that, that mentality of that culture has been for eons of time. Because when you read things in, in Scripture, and I know that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And, and he was. But David was also a man of his times and a man of his culture. See his pursuit after God and the heartbeat of God did not take him out of the culture in which he existed. He had to live in that culture and and we and sometimes we, we, we tend to forget that and and we, we read these prayers and these things in, in this old in the Old Testament, and we wonder how in the world can this be... This, this is God's people that are saying stuff like this. We have to take into consideration the differences in culture. Because it existed then. It still exists today. That's why Abraham, when when he approached uh, uh, Abimelech, and, and, uh, and, and he had already... You know, talk to Sarah. You know, and said now he's going to ask about us. You need to tell him you're my sister, and I'm your brother, because you're a beautiful woman, and they will kill me because of you. See, so when Abraham said that, we look at that and think, oh, you know, I don't. They wouldn't have killed him, really. Oh, yes, they would have. They they would have lopped his head off. For for that beautiful woman, that was that culture, and and that's why sometimes we don't understand the things that we read because of these culture differences. And see, in in our culture, we don't understand stuff like that. We're we're getting to the place that we do culturally. We're we're getting to we're getting to the place. To where human life means nothing. You know, because a woman can be raped in broad daylight. Nobody lift a hand to try to help her. But you'll have a dozen people standing there trying to video it. It's kind of like I saw this little cartoon drawing. A man is in a lake. All you can see is a hand sticking up out of the water. And the words Help. Now, there's ten people on the shore. But all ten of them are standing there like this. They're videoing the man drowning and and nobody helping. See, we're, we're, we're approaching that kind of attitude where human life means absolutely nothing. But when we read of these things in Scripture, we don't understand why David can say some of the things that he says. But it's because of the culture in which, in which they lived. And we have to take that and we have to try to apply it to our culture to find meaning today in, in what David was praying and saying in his day. Amen. And see, we, we do the same, we do the same as David in, in a way. We ask God to help us. We have the attitude David had. If, you're not, if I can't detect you moving or doing something right now in my situation, then you're inactive and God's not doing anything. See, we're, we, we can relate to that. We can relate to David asking God to help us. We, we can't relate to David asking God to destroy his enemies and, and trying to help us to understand that one day those enemies are going to stand before a just God and God will judge them in his righteousness. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God.